Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. This is Billy B.J. Jones, and this is Nadine Tabs, and we are the Fright Guys. All right. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's another episode. Thank you for being with us. It's September 18th, 2020, live show, Eastern Standard Time, and I'm very happy to see you, my brother, Nadine, for another exciting episode. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's always a fun time to do this. I mean, I know that we do it every couple of weeks, and we have our, our people, our listeners that are, you know, waiting anxiously in between, right, from one episode to another, especially now uh, as the spooky season is upon us. But, you know, for us, it's the spooky season every day, all the time. So we're good to go. Um, I want to start off today's show. Um, I wanted to give some love to some people because, you know, Billy, you know very well that we get emails all the time and and phone calls and messages through social media and we get a lot of love out there, as you know. So uh, there's a few people that have shown us quite a bit of love this weekend. I just want to take a moment and mention them. Um, so I and also tell people about some amazing uh, – these people are doing some amazing things out there. So the mm-hmm. first one is uh, Poltergeist. If you look on Instagram, it's Poltergeist um, underscore OD. And he has this incredible talent where he takes – uh, horror films, and he writes and creates songs based upon the clips of the horror films. I saw one on Pumpkinhead that was absolutely amazing, and he promoted for us this week the show on his feed, so we appreciate it, Poltergeist OD, and also uh, Stitch of the Witch 666. You love that name, don't you? Think about yeah. that. Stitch of the Witch 666. And uh, if you follow her on Instagram, it's also the same name of her Etsy store. So I purchased, she was kind enough that she promoted for us this week on her feed, and she makes her own face covering mask, but the way we like, with the spooky and the dark and the, you know, all the stuff that we're into. And I bought these glow-in-the-dark vampire fang uh, mask. And let me tell you something, it was so comfortable. I wore it yesterday, and I was just really, really happy with it. So I want to thank... Stitch of the Witch 666 and Poltergeist OD for uh, their love this week. Also, Graphaholics, as you know, they helped with our logo this week. And Karina Mariaga, who's always giving us shout-outs on Fright Talk. So thank you to all of our listeners. 
thank you to everybody on social media that shows us shows us the love. We truly, truly appreciate it. And all I can say is, and I'm sure Billy agrees with me, keep that love coming. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and I ditto everything that Dean said. Thank you, all of these creatives and, and, and designers and fans. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your continuous your your continued support. I also want to give a shout out to our, our sponsor. Have you ever been in a situation that your insurance won't cover? Have you had a cover had coverage for what you thought you did? Now more than ever, everyone needs quality health insurance. Make sure you have the right plan to cover every situation. Call my friend John Stalter today for a free quote at eight one five. Eight two two three five five seven. That's eight one five eight two two three five five seven. And also, speaking of lines, if you want to speak to us in this live podcast, you can call us at three four seven five three nine five three seven two. Again, that is three four seven five three nine five three seven two. Our inbox and Instagram line on in the Dean's lines are available. Email on, on the in, on the inbox is everydayfolkslisten at gmail dot com, and on Instagram. In, in TAPSH, T-A-B-S-C-H. Look him up and DM him. We'll love your questions. You know, the Dean, when we came up with this show, we talked about all uh, weeks ago, actually a couple months ago, we started lining up things because you know the season is coming. Fall right. starts next week. <laughs> I can't wait. Let me tell you, I cannot wait. <laughs> Absolutely. And this topic today is a special one for us because it's one of the most iconic figures in the world, and that is the vampire. Yeah. And, Dean, do you remember the first time you were introduced or, or had an introduce, an introduction to Dracula or a vampire? Um, so when I was a kid, I mean, you mentioned this before in the previous uh, shows, that when we were in the, kids of the 80s, know what we're talking about, the torture, the, the torture device I'm about to mention. It was a box that would bring your Halloween costume, which was like a plastic that would just like stick to your skin and then it would be a plastic oh, yeah. mask and then obviously i'd wear just you know a, the vampire mask or a dracula mask um i remember being in elementary and so one year dressing as dracula and vampire but not really knowing <laughs> what it was and then until uh, growing up as a teenager and stuff like that i mean you get uh, an understanding of what vampires are or were in the general sense but you know i did watch at least for one season and you know uh the buffy the vampire slayer right but before right. i watched the movie and i actually think the movie might have been the first like might have been the first vampire movie that i had seen that when i was old enough to recognize way before the show ever came out what about you billy i mean vampires as you know are they're very iconic what was your first introduction to vampires count chocula <laughs> <laughs> you know, I didn't understand it. It was brown. It tasted good. And those commercials were creepy. Do you remember those commercials? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Frankenberry. So, yeah, and he had the widow's peak, right? Dracula is always either purple in complexion and, and cartoons. <laughs> he yeah. always seems to be a male, and he has that oxygen to talk like this. And right. so, but then as I became um, older and I grew older, I, I like you. I remember the original movie Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and there's another one I want to throw out: the original Fright Night. Oh yeah. The yes. movie Salem's Lot. Those yes. movies were such um, reminders. I said, "Oh my gosh, horrific!" 
and, and, and beautifully horrific uh, depictions of, of, of a vampire. And it is always interesting. Vampires themselves, uh, the history of the vampire is very fascinating itself, and it transcends itself beyond America. But there's something I thought about the other day that when it comes to these vampires, why are vampires so sensualized or sexualized sometimes? <laughs> because they have these certain abilities, right? In Hollywood silver screens when we're watching right. movies, you know, right. there are all these things that, you know, they seem to be very attractive people in most cases, or they become victims or outcasts of some sort. And it, it, there's a story much similar to um, Frankenstein, actually. You know, these outcasts, these superhuman outcasts that speaks to human follies. So I think the vampire himself or herself is one of the most unforgettable, iconic figures in the world. Yeah, and, you know, going back um, for years, the if you're familiar with the magazine Fangoria, Yep. Uh, Angoria, basically all things horror, you know, which is things that we enjoy. And if you go back around that time, you had the introduction of Vampirella in comics. And Vampirella was, uh, you know, seductive, uh, was written to be seductive, uh, good looking uh, woman, vampire. And so it was almost this idea that she was so good looking that you didn't care that she was going to kill you. You That's know, interesting. Yeah, and then definitely in definitely in Hollywood they they definitely play on that. You know, the vampires are irresistible. It's part of their charm. You know, and, and listen, we know a few years ago, well, more than a few years ago, they came out with those uh, uh, movies that were in the books that, and I'm trying to, I'm trying to not say um, that they were bad because I only read the first book. But I wasn't, I wasn't a fan of the movies of the Twilight. Mm. When, the, when the books came out, when the movies came out, people were, you know... Oh, well, they were going crazy. A lot yeah. of people were going crazy, yeah. So I, I, I think Hollywood does a good job, actually, at, at doing that. I think that there is a certain allure and charm to it. But I also think that mystery in general attracts people. So I think people yeah. are attracted to, to trying to find out what's what the mystery about it is or what's the charm or the allure of it. Yeah, and vampires here in America, it's, you know, Halloween's upon us in, in a matter of weeks. And I can't recall of all the parties or, or, or festivals we, you and I have been, um, I can recall. There is always someone in the audience who's going to dress up as this character, right? And right. the, the, the iconic elements of the vampire, at least the modernized vampire, or even Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, I read yeah. one of my first horror novels ever read was Abraham Stoker's um, Dra- uh, Stoker's Dracula, and I loved it so much. And then I even loved the the movie adaptation to that novel. Yeah. I thought it was very very well done, and it, it it's it's interesting because that story in itself, again, someone who is outcast, ostracized but yet has to feed off of man, right, in order to live. And the idea that, well, being in a cold castle, and this is the very Gothic, the very Victorian perspective, yeah. right? um, but being able to be um, an, an outcast, but yet come and dwell and want something from humanity, not just the blood, but also the idea of love, that was very interesting. And I think that storyline has... Uh, transformed into other forms. Like you have the movie um, uh, Underworld, 
which is a great yeah. series of not only you got vampires, you got werewolves up in there too. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and here again, Celine, who is the main protagonist of the storyline yeah. and her story and her backstory is so incredibly done. It's, it's an example here that the vampire, regardless of generations, it will continue to flourish. Yes, I agree with that. And definitely, you know, it's funny because if you look at these movies and how these books are written, I agree with you. Uh, mm-hmm. Bram Stoker's uh, Dracula is a masterpiece, absolutely, through and through. Um, I always felt, and tell me if you feel the same way, Billy, you know, mm-hmm. that typical pitchfork and torches, the villagers going. And I think to myself, well, who's the real monster? Right. The person who's being, or the the creature who is trying to be left alone, or those that are coming after him or her with pitchforks and torches, right? So, but it does play to a very interesting part. And, you know, the, the Dracula story is very loosely based on Vladimir mm-hmm. Taylor. Right. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, so it's very loosely based. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to talk about him a little bit. It's very loosely based on on his life. I mean, the love stories and some of the the towns and stuff like that. Um, but a lot of things um, when they write, whether it's a screenplay or a novel, they do tend to make this, or they'll try to make a monster have almost affection. Like it's mm-hmm. impossible to think that a monster could have affection and then but i have to be honest i've never seen vampires or frankensteins i i don't see them as the monsters because i don't see them as ever doing anything that merits an angry mob <laughs> that's interesting um uh, let's talk about the iconic elements that make a vampire right so when you think of a vampire nadine what are some of the things that come to mind from physical well, yeah. attributes to to behavior. Well, you got the the pale skin from lack of okay. sunlight. Okay. Right. You you clearly have the fangs, but the fangs change though because sometimes the fangs are not they they do not uh descend until they're about to bite someone in some cases and depending on how it's described. So you definitely have the fangs you had mentioned before. Uh, in the old classical description of vampires, you had the the widow's peak, and and it's and the description of vampires has changed. If you think of Nosferatu, right. Nosferatu changed completely from what Dracula is is described as. Right. Uh, of course, they got the cross around the neck, right? The cape, you know, turning into a bat. Usually slender or well built. Usually tall. I don't, I don't remember ever ever seeing a movie or reading a book with short, stubby vampires. <laughs> and if they did, and if, and if they did, they became victims of circumstances. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, the, and, and here's the other thing. There's a, a lot of what we see as the modern-day version of, vamp, of the vampire. It, it emanates from several periods of human history. And I love to use the Victorian period as an example because the Victorians had a lot going on, as you may know, recall, um, yeah. in America, in the world. I mean, from TB, tuberculosis, they were dealing with all kinds of, um, there was an evolution and change in society. There was, you know, modernization of things. I mean, we're talking near the, 20, the, change, the turn of the century. So people, especially when they died young or they died prematurely, if, the, if science couldn't answer it at its best in that time, they, they, reser- they resorted to other forms of superstition or supernatural or religion in order right. to help right. interpret. 
Yeah, that's absolutely correct. That reminds me of the that town in Poland in the 17th and 18th century where they had that mm-hmm. cemetery in a small village, and there was at least um, I don't remember if it was six individuals or there was quite a few individuals that were uh, buried, but they were buried in a way that there was clearly a concern. Obviously, archaeologists afterwards see there's clearly a concern that them coming back to life right. was a, a problem. And these are people that probably had illnesses, as you stated. And even though they had their illnesses, at that time, things were very easily written off to supernatural things that couldn't be explained. So in this particular uh, example, in this town in Poland, uh, they would place sharp curved farming tools called sickles across the, the bodies of the deceased and rocks under the chins. So if this body came back to life, they would get decapitated. They would also uh, break the bones after death and cross them over the body as well. So all of these things, and it was at that time uh, believed to be because these individuals were vampires. Right, right. And, and, you know, a lot of these practices that you speak of carry over from the Middle Ages. And, yes. and it's interesting because I always wonder 100 years from now or 200 out when we're all no longer here, uh, I'm always wondering what people are going to say of us and what will have evolved then that will be prehistoric, you know, mm-hmm. then that we enjoy now. And mm-hmm. a, a lot of it starts with, an, you know, an understanding the world was very conservative in many cases when it had, it had religious context, you know, to help interpret things. And now that things have become, um, I don't know if they're more balanced, but at least there's a more of a distribution of ideas and uh, understandings of the world. You know, so the, the duality of science versus supernatural religion, you know, there's this, it's this little weird triangle that seems to play out. And the vampire seems to live or dwell among all of them. And I know now we're, we're already a quarter out, a quarter into the, uh, the show here. And I see that some of you are sending in some emails here. They're coming in live, Nadine. They're listening. Thank you for listening to my call. <laughs> thank you for listening to us. Thank you so much. <laughs> we know you do. And and thank you. And you can continue to send those emails in at everydayfolklisten at gmail.com or DM Nadine on Intabsh on Instagram. And, of course, 347-539-5372 is our line. Let's hit some of these questions, Nadine. I think you've got a couple. Yeah, let's see here, because there's so many good questions, and I want to make mm-hmm. sure that I ask. Uh, let's see. All right, so th- this is a very good question, and I, it is something I want to spend some time talking about. Lance asks, some say that modern-day vampires exist. What's your take on this phenomenon? Now, I don't necessarily know if it's a phenomenon, but yes, modern-day vampires do exist because people do live in vampire communities. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, people that willingly... Uh, have uh, live a life of vampirism, right? So, which is a community. Um, these are people that willingly uh, accept blood or animal blood or human blood from those people that give it up. There's even a, a donor bill of rights that focuses on the, the well-being of those people giving blood. Now, this doesn't mean that the person may, they may have a gothic fashion style, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to, uh, you know, uh, wear a cape or anything like that. I mean, they, they truly, they walk among us. So, so there is definitely a community of that, and uh, it's how people choose to live. Some wear prosthetic things, some don't. A lot of people in that commun- in those communities, it's vampire community, um, or living vampires, as they're called, community. They do sleep during the day, and they do, you know, they, they work at night or they're up at night. 
And uh, with this particular phenomenon, because I don't want to like, you know, I I, I don't want to like shadow it with ignorance. A lot of times they have reported that when they, from an early age, if they didn't have um, the blood, the animal blood, the human blood, whatever it was, that they would actually physically feel ill. Now, scientifically and medically speaking, I don't know where that Tyner's connection is because I'm not, nor a scientist, nor a uh, a doctor. I'm, I'm, you know, if anything, a historian. So, what is your take on it? So, yes, the answer is yes. This phenomenon does exist. And what's your take on this, Billy? It's interesting. I'm looking at it, I look at it from two two contexts. Remember when we went to Tate's around your birthday? Yes. yes and yes. I bought a comic book. And I'm yes. trying to remember the name of that character because there's a movie coming out. Is it Morbius? Or what's the name? Uh, Morbius. 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 So Morbius. let's take Morbius for an example because that's about to come out. The last living vampire, as Marvel claims he is, right? Uh, here's something about him that kind of relates to what modern day vampires are alleged to do. You know, some are no longer using the blood. Some are, you know, drawing from the blood and things like that. But other versions of vampires are also drawing out energy. And there's a thought that there's an extraction of energy, which makes a person, I guess, a vampire as well. And so there's that new form, that neo version of what vampires can be like today. And that's interesting because Morbius does that. He has this plasma that's inside of him that he draws from his bones, that he feeds off of. And so, and yet he's like bat-like, so he has these elements of a bat, and we all know that the bats are one of the most iconic lycanthropic figures or icons or symbols of a a vampire. And so I I think that now today, I remember in college, it reminds me of what I saw when I was radio station general manager of my college radio station at at FIU. And we used to have the the radio shows, uh, you know, different shows that were specialty shows. And I remember we had a goth night, and I remember these kids coming in with capes, this was not even October. This was like a November or December. They came right. with their capes. They had their fangs. I'm like, what is going on, right? And then I realized, hold on a minute. They weren't drinking blood. They weren't doing anything. It was just part of their get-up to enjoy for the moment. So some who are true vampires probably would see that as um, a, a, a disregard, disrespectful right. to who they are, right. Um, right. while they were just enjoying the occasion. So I do feel that there is a new version, the neo version of vampires. You know, yes, the blood is one of the more, you know, elements or remnants of what it is. But I think more so too, there's this energetic aspect too. Yeah, yeah, and, and you raise a valid point there as far as, um, well, when you talk about, you know, people living as vampires and then, you know, their fashion style may be considered what is goth or what some yeah. would consider emo or whatever the case is. And you know very well, as I do, um, I'm all about people wearing and looking however they want to wear, however they want to look, you know? Right. So, you know, it, 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 somebody can can very easily dress and wear very, well, I'm going to say stereotypical gothic styles and fashion and have absolutely nothing to do with a vampire community or feeding off energy the 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 drinking of the blood and all that existed or exists in certain communities um i read a couple articles online and i think the most recent article on it was in 2015 right so we're talking about a few years ago but definitely i i agree with you that the the energy portion of it um it's just a a lifestyle 
right, no, right. not saying it's right, not saying it's wrong, because it's you know n- nobody a judge, it's just a lifestyle. So I've got a question here for Nadine that's coming in from Stan. Stan said, asked, he says, the battle between werewolves and vampires is iconic. What's your take on the Underworld movie series? I actually enjoyed the Underworld movie series quite a bit. I will tell you that I enjoyed the first movie more than I enjoyed mm-hmm. the other one. So, um, and some, you know, sometimes it's one of those things where the sequels aren't as good. I also feel the same way about uh, Blade. But uh, I actually enjoyed those movies quite a bit, and I thought that the the character was it Celine, right? Celine was the character yeah, in that movie. Yeah. yeah, I did very much like the tie-in with the lichens and the vampires, but I I thought that movie was was good. And also, just visually speaking, it had such a a dark, um, but like a dark glow effect to it throughout the entire movie that I, I actually appreciated. But I, I actually thought that movie was was pretty good, considering I know it came out years ago, but considering it's one of the more modern of the vampire movies, I thought they did an excellent job. And I know you have definitely seen all of the the underworld movies, Billy. And and what are your thoughts on it? I mean, do you feel the same way I do that perhaps the first one was was better? Or did you like them all equally? You know, I like them all equally, and I'll tell you why. The title itself is Underworld, and here are these vampires who are living among humans in in the modern times, um, and and having a backstory. But in in their backstory, there's this history, and and the conflict is imminent between them and the vampires. But what's more interesting is this. The fact that even among themselves, there's conflict very similar that mirrors what we deal with in, in, in humanity. You know, idea of wanting to have power, authority, wanting to usurp that authority in a very appropriate way for personal gain. And then there was this betrayal, family betrayal. There are all these themes that are like so common. They were more human than I ever think of, think of vampires ever been in terms of the modernization of what vampires can do as they evolve in a modern society. So that's what I liked about it so much. And I got a props to the special effects. My goodness. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And you're right, that glow, the color, the hues, were they were Mm -hmm. phenomenal. I thought that, now that you think about it, I remember seeing shades of blues and grays and white. Like, yeah, they they played on color very well, which further reinforced the the, the intensity and and the, the dark underworld of what it meant. But the underworld became the upper world at some point, which I thought was pretty cool too. Yeah, yeah. No, the the movies were definitely enjoyable. Um, the the tie-in with the vampires. Cause sometimes you'll see a vampire movie and it's just about vampires. The tie-in with the werewolf portion, the lichens, I thought was was pretty genius. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Maybe we should care cover werewolves at some point. <laughs> <laughs> now, Billy, there's a question coming in here. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this to you and I'm going to respond to it also but here's a question it's from Jermaine and it's an excellent question what's worse to live immortal as a vampire or to die tragically as a mortal human Ooh. I think it, this this question, <laughs> this question reminds me of something that I, a weird crazy conversation I was having with frat brothers when we were in college and I remember him saying one time if I was a vampire he asked me, well, if you're a vampire, who are you going to take with you? I said, what do you mean take with you? And he said, well, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to take. I'm going to bite you. He looked at me, and I'm biting my mother. He said, I need people I can trust in eternity. <laughs> and so what he said, <laughs> I had to laugh. But at some point, I'm thinking, wait a minute. It's a very lonely life being a vampire if you can be three and 400 centuries years old or, or a millennium, a millennia old. 
And I think that that it's I think it's kind of sad if you look at it from the storyline that we're so commonly introduced to it to where your loved ones die on unless they become immortal like you. But if you're a daywalker, then you're able to live in the light. But if not, you're forever they may not, not be able to see light. And I like seeing light. I feel there are certain things of being human that I enjoy. But to escape soon and escape the flesh's rage, and if no other misery yet age, and I'm citing something from John Donne actually, the poet, the poet, it's to escape those challenges would be kind of awesome, right? So there, no. I teeter on the fence. I teeter on the fence of the two. I so there is something tragic about seeing everybody that's important to you that you care about pass on and you're still around. At some right. point, you're the only one. Unless, like you said, you know, uh, they're vampires right along with you. But in this particular question, that doesn't seem like it's the option, right? So right. it seems like you are, your choice is either living as a vampire. I mean, what are the positives? Well, you're not really going to have health issues as long as you stay out of the sunlight. I do agree with you that I do like the sunlight. I might like the night a little bit more and the dark a little bit more. So <laughs> I think I could do with that without a problem. But, um, yeah, I I don't know. I think that if a lot of good things have happened in humanity through time and a lot of terrible things have happened, and I think in the world we live in, I wouldn't want to live in this world for 400 years. Mm. Especially the state of things today. <laughs> yeah, There's a lot going on. I mean, we got the microscopic enemy pandemic around. I mean, coronavirus and... Well, if I'm a vampire, I'm assuming I'll be immune to that. So that kind of is a plus on that side, right? <laughs> yeah, true. So true. I know that. I'm sorry, folks. That wasn't right. <laughs> that wasn't oh, right. A little insensitive there, Billy, but it's all right. It's all right. Vampires can take it. Our listeners can take it. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> We're in the half hour, Mindy. Can you believe it? Uh, half hour. I don't want to forget. Because I, I, I forgot in the last show, and that was my fault, Billy, but I can't forget this show. Follow our Instagram and Facebook page, at Fright Talk, guys. Follow us. See all the cool stuff that we post. Engage us in conversation. Post them questions to us that you want. So follow us at Fright Talk, guys, um, on Instagram and Facebook. And we love the and we love when you hear the, if you hear your feedback and your comments. And we of course even love you more when you listen to our show. <laughs> Got a question <laughs> for you here uh, from Juan Nadim. Here's there's one coming in now. I'm going to read to you. Juan okay. asked the following question. He says, "What makes a good vampire movie these days? No one is hardly making them anymore. Perhaps they are overdone." Um, I think Juan is correct to a certain extent. They are overdone because you think to yourself. Where can it go from here? There's definitely more vampire movies than there are werewolf movies, um, which I enjoy both. Uh, but and, and I think that was part of the reason why Blade was a success and why Underworld was a success because right. it was outside of that of that norm. But I do think it it gets to a, a point where you're like, okay, you have to do something new. And though I'm not particularly um, fond of the Twilight um, franchise. Just because it's not my thing, there were certain aspects of that where they reinvented the vampire, where it's not your typical vampire. Okay, they could be out in the sunlight and they right. glitter or sparkle. I don't even know what they do, uh, or something to that effect, right? So I, I think it's very difficult because people that we discussed in the beginning of the show have a preconceived notion 
of what a vampire is supposed to be and not what a vampire could be. Mm, that's true. I, I think a good vampire today, I'm, I'm curious to see what Morbius is going to do. Because he's a bat, though. I can't agree, reminding myself he's a bat, not necessarily a vampire. Because if any other iconic character in Marvel or, or DC, I can think of, I always thought Doctor Strange was a vampire for some reason, until I saw what he could do. <laughs> so, it was just strange at first. And then, so, I, I think that in, in the end, today's vampire, we're going to see a lot of remakes. Just like we've seen so many remakes of, of Halloween, of Michael Myers. Right. We're going to see right. more remakes because each generation wants its own introduction to the classics. And so then, the vampire is one of those unforgettable ones. But I think a different version on this would be kind of what Blade did a few years back, which, which was a, a, a comic character as well. I liked Blade so much, that movie, the original. It was so good. And maybe because Wesley Snipes made it look so cool, and I wanted to carry the sword, I guess, yeah. because you know, to be a daywalker. But they took the vampire aspect or the characteristics were part of it. There was this whole other world that they brought in as well. I just thought it was super cool how they were able to, to marry the two and make it seem so real, like these people really live next door to me. And I thought that was super cool. Or even in the series True Blood. I mean, when we look at the series on HBO, I used to like that series, and I didn't like how it ended. I'll say that for the record. Um, but I did like that True Blood. It was in the South. It had a storyline. It's based on the the the, 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 the what is it? The Sookie Stockhouse uh, Stackhouse Chronicles. It's actually based on a novel. And the story itself, it has witches. There are all kind of folks that come into the storyline in, 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 in series of the book. But right. the key that true blood was the blood, the drink that was created as a synthetic to keep the, the vampires living among us. I thought that was super cool to have that mix. But I will say this, being a vampire and transforming does not look fun. That looks painful. I don't want to be bitten. I don't want to be bitten. I don't want to fight others unless it's something, you know, that I can consume, that I enjoy consuming. So it looked like the transformation just seems so painful sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I... I you know it's funny because when you think of the transformation process, um, I think that one of the movies then movies that captured the transformation in a very eloquent way was Interview with a Vampire, and where oh. Brad turns into a vampire or is converted to a vampire and he wakes up and he the the description is, you know I'm starting to see these things around me more vividly. It was almost as if he was describing if things were coming to life more. I thought that that description was very good because I agree with you. In, in typical books, it sounds very painful. Same thing as somebody's converting to a werewolf or, or transforming to a werewolf. That looks really painful as well. So I agree with you. I don't know if I want to go through all that, but I mean the payoff is immortality. So right, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I have a question here for you, Billy. It says, this is from Stanley. Okay. Stanley says, I visited Romania where Vladimir once lived. Hmm. I enjoyed it very much. I hear there is a location in America where there's a community of vampires. What do you think about that? And we already kind of discussed that. Well, we yeah. discussed people living as vampires. But the Romania part, um, he, he was interested, obviously, he went to Romania. Now, I do want to say that I hope he did go to the correct location because – um, Vlad the Impaler did not live in Transylvania proper. If uh, there is a 
a Dracula's castle where Vladimir and Taylor never even stepped foot in, which is a tourist attraction. There is another castle, which is pretty much a ruin now because of several earthquakes to the area. And in that particular area, um, which is in the mountains, I think the Farragaris Mountains, um, it's really pretty much just a tower from what was left of the castle and some minor other, maybe a few walls or something like that. But hopefully he went to the to the right one and not the tourist trap. But uh, what is your opinion on this? I mean, definitely, listen, I would love to go, whether it's a tourist trap or the real one, I would love to go regardless. I, I think Vlad himself is, is, is well, Romania, Transylvania, it's a very interesting place. Um, I've never visited it, and I've only visited virtually, honestly, folks. And, and I feel so bad for the folks who are there, because they're, what's the most iconic thing uh, that draws people there? Look, you know, Vlad, you know, Dracula. The iconic Vlad the Impaler. And this Impaler was one of the most brutal people alive. And the things that he had done to people and and until he was finally stopped, right? But this man right. had a very interesting fetish for human destruction. And also, too, a lot of who he is um, lends itself to some of the characteristics that we see of vampires today. So even going to, I, w- I will say this. Going to well, in this case, it's you know to Romania. Going there, especially at the, at the time of the year when 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 vampires are most celebrated, maybe super cool. Uh, it's unlike ghosts where you feel like when I go, I don't know if I'll be charged or bitten, but it just it's cool to say I to, to go there. I, I think that there is a, a location. Um, there, there's a location in New England actually that happened in the Middle Ages where there was a family. And I read this a, a, a few days ago. There was a family in New England, Rhode Island, New England area, and they were in a small town called Exeter. And these people, this family, the, the, the last names were Brown. And, and Mercy, um, I'm going to focus on Edwin Brown. Edwin Brown was a man who entire family was wiped out by tuberculosis. And but as we know today, people who have TB, if you're in close quarters or folks, they all could get wiped out. A whole family could get wiped out. But at the right. same time, the idea of supernatural or other things taking root because science had not advanced to understand this also prevailed. And so to the point of what you mentioned earlier, Nadine, this family, uh, once, I mean, his entire family, the mother, the, the sister, son, everybody died. And then the family, the, the townspeople were like, well, we got to go and make sure they're not vampires. So when they opened Mercy Brown, his sister's grave, she was actually turned on her side and her face was flushed. And they automatically thought it was a sign that she had um, that he she was risen. She was a vampire. So they immediately extracted her. They took out her heart. They took out her her throat, and then they burned her ash. You know, they consumed her into ashes. Then they gave they took her ashes and put it in the in the elixir and gave it to her brother Edwin Brown, and you know as a hope to kill and banish the vampire from coming. Okay, lo and behold, months later, like within a year, he was he died of TB as well. And they were farmers. Right. And so here's an example here, right here in America, right in our own, in the East Coast of America, where people were tragically um, believing what they could believe. We shouldn't judge, but they believe what they believe, and they thought vampires existed in this one particular town. Yeah, and you know, it's funny, uh, speaking of Vlad the Impaler, so nobody's 100% sure Historians can't agree, let me put it that way, on where he is actually buried. And there's only two locations that they believe he could be buried. And believe it or not, 
as atrocious some of the things that he did, both those locations are actually monasteries. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so there's a little bit of uh, irony for you. I didn't you. know that. Yeah. So bad. Wow. <laughs> he's buried in this monastery. No, he's in this monastery. Okay, but still monastery. <laughs> and he didn't kill people. So, you know, perspective. Uh, hey, I got a question coming in for you, Nazim, that, that came in from this person named Mix. Have you, well, you already answered it. Have you seen an interview with a vampire? Did you like it? We kind of answered that already. So, Mix, we yeah, talked I about that earlier. I want to go to Dina's question. This one's even better. I'm going to click on it. Are vampire movies overrated, or or are there other genres that are just that overrated? I'd love to hear your take on it, Fry Guys. So I I think that some vampire movies are overrated, absolutely. I think yeah. other ones are absolutely great. Look, the remake to uh, to uh, what was the one that you referenced earlier from the eighties? Uh, you Night? Fright Night, yeah, you would think I would remember the name, right? Fright Night. So the original one was good. The remake to me was absolute garbage. So it was terrible. You know, who was it? Was it Colin Farrell? Colin Farrell? Yeah. 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 Stop it. All right, don't do that again, Colin Farrell. Please don't. You did not. You were not a good vampire. All right. So um, I think some movies are overrated. I think that. I think that because sometimes there's gaps in time when a good vampire movie comes out, at, after a certain point, people thirst, literally thirst, the audience, for th- those like us that, that like the vampire genre um, for something to come out. And then when something comes out, you know, they're like, ooh, what? like, you know, there's great vampire movies. I thought Interview with a Vampire was absolutely phenomenal. I think Tom Cruise's portrayal... Um, as a vampire for being Tom Cruise is uh, was very good as a stat. But then there's also other movies like Vampire in Brooklyn, yeah. which was more or less the end of Eddie Murphy's career. There you go. And Dracula 2000, which I was like, okay, these are not good. Like they shouldn't have, how did they get funded? All right, they were not good movies. So I think in some cases, I, I don't think vampire movies are overrated. I think some of them are just bad movies. Yeah, and, and I will say part of that question that was asked was the overrating of um, other movies. I always felt so. I have a, a colleague who loves zombie-related movies. I don't get. I, I, I'm not into zombie. It's not my thing. And and there was a time when people were watching Walking Dead. It began to be more than just about the zombies. I, I got it. I, but I and I tried to give it a chance, and it just didn't resonate with me. I thought it was great, you know, and I celebrate and salute the creators of it and the writers all the same. But it just wasn't a show that resonated with me well in terms of – I just thought it was so overrated in that time when I was watching it. Much the same as people thought of True Blood, right? And when they saw right. True Blood come out, like, oh, my gosh. Right. And, it, you know, it, it, here's something I thought of, Nadine, which I, I think is very important to mention here. Um, why is it, that, especially in an interview to Vampire, Anne Rice, when you wrote this book, and her son also writes books too. But when she wrote that, Queen of the Damned, another great one. Yeah. Book in in Vampire Lestat, another great book from Anne Rice. There's and Anne did it. She always brings in this homoerotic element or this yeah. bisexual quality that comes in. So I guess if you start thinking about it, you know, regardless of what your preference is, whoever you know, whatever someone's preference is, but if you can live forever and if I still like what I like, I don't think that would change for centuries, right? 
But then I, some of these vampires and these, and these storylines have become very sen- sexualized in that sense. And they're very free-spirited. I think it's, it's, it's interesting. And it's not that it's a bad thing by all means. I just think it's very interesting how years ago in an interview with Vampire, Anne Rice was, was capturing that in a time 30 years right. back that wasn't as right. open and understanding of these types of lifestyles as they are today. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I also think um, how she wrote the characters, like, like you're stating, a lot of them did have that homoerotic element for whatever reason uh, yeah. that she decided to go that route with them. Um, but, in and I agree with you, I, I feel that if a vampire was um, uh, whatever their preference was when they were alive, more or less would be the same preference in the afterlife, right? Um, right. So I... I I definitely see that. You're right. She did transcend. Uh, she was a trendsetter at that particular time with them. I would just, I kind of, and I, you know, it's not the topic that we're discussing, but I think of the show Lucifer and how he plays the devil, and he sleeps with both men and women in that show. Yeah. And so, which makes sense, because if you think about it, it's about, okay, seduction, the devil, and whatever the case is. So I could kind of feel that same way towards vampires however let me say this that usually happens for male vampires very rare that you see that for the female vampires right so you don't see a lot of female vampires uh you know going towards their own gender where you're more likely to see that with male vampires how they're written and how they're portrayed anyways that's true and i remember in an interview interview with a vampire brad pitt and and i don't remember the name of the characters Oh, at the moment, but Brad Pitt and um, Tom Cruise, they had a very interesting relationship, right? right? It was very, there was, it, was, it was a very loving, intimate relationship. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's almost like very parental in a sense, you know, between child yeah. and and, yeah. and that is something that I've always fascinated with, with vampires, that, you know, honoring me, the one who made you, who came before you, therefore is more stronger right. than you. And I thought that storyline, that aspect of the storyline in modern times is pretty fascinating. We didn't get that entirely in Bram Stoker's Dracula. He just he wanted Lucy. He was after Lucy and wanted her and desired to have her. Whereas I find that in other characters we don't see the focus entirely on that anymore. These vampires want anything they want. They want what they want, especially if they're trying to keep up with the modern times. Right. And I think what well, I got one more question for you, and this was coming in from Paolo. Um, thanks for listening, sir. I'm clicking on it now and Adim it says being if being a vampire seems painful to become, what other entities are worse? <laughs> I think a werewolf would be worse. I think it would uh, really yeah. suck to be a zombie, to be honest with you, at least how they're portrayed. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't want to be like you know falling apart. <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. The werewolves. Are, you're right. I agree with that one. I saw American Werewolf in London. Holy moly. Oh my God, that was the most painful transformation. <laughs> right. <It was>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, definitely. I, I, I definitely the 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 werewolf one always looks like it's it's painful and it hurts. Even when the if you even they are even written that way. It's not even as you know, Billy. It's not even just the movies or the shows that that's the way they they are written. And you know, um, I. Yeah, I I don't know. I wouldn't want to be a zombie. I wouldn't want to convert to a werewolf. Um, yeah, I, I, the zombie I think to me would be the worst because like you're almost just aging 
at a quicker rate, and I already feel like I'm aging the way I am. Like I don't want to, I don't want to speed it up. I don't want like an appendage in my arm to fall off or anything like that. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, I have a question for you here, uh, Billy. Right. And we talked a lot about characters in books, and this comes from our good friend Mo. All right, Mo says, "Howdy, list your favorite three vampire characters." His are Selma Hayek from *Dust Till Dawn*. She didn't have many lines in that movie, so I have a pretty good idea why she's one of his favorite vampires, but okay, I'll leave it at that. Gary Oldman is Bram Stoker's Dracula, and Stephen Dorff in Blade. So, Billy, top three vampires, what do you think? Let her rip. Okay, I like Celine from Underworld, number one. I don't remember the name of the person. I forgot, Kate Blanchett, I think that's the name who played it. I think that's the name. Um, one, I, I got to give it up to my boy Wesley Snipes. And, and Blade, I, I got to give it to him. He really, really turned that role out, too. And then, you know, I'm going to throw a, 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 a red herring in here. <laughs> you remember Cheech in Dust Till Dawn? Cheech and John? I think he yes. had Cheech. You remember <laughs> he was at the Bordell? He was at the, well, whatever they call that place yes, where the yes, vampire yes. bar was, where, where they, they ended up being locked in. He was so funny. And it was like the best. He was just like, what is he doing in this movie? Get out of here. But I thought it was great seeing the humor. Oh, you know what? Let me add a fourth. I forgot. I need to talk about Aaliyah, Akasha, and Queen of the Day. Oh, she did Dan, such yeah. a great job. And I I love watching that movie because it just had such – she was just so alluring. And I remember when she walked into the bar and she was waiting and swaying with her body. I was like, who is – she looks so good. And it was such a beautiful, um, beautiful uh, portrayal of a vampire powerful vampire it was just cool so I, I gave four there how about you yeah um well i tom cruise as Lestat in interview with a vampire i thought yeah, was very good you know and this he is uh he really did this is before he started jumping off of buildings or whatever the case is but yes uh tom cruise as Lestat in interview with the vampire i thought was great of course gary Oldman as bram stoker's dracula however so i'm gonna throw this out there I believe it's well-written, so I want to mention this. So it's not necessarily an actor, but the question was about characters. If you have not seen the Castlevania anime on Netflix, oh, it's so it good. is absolutely amazing. And the way it was written for Dracula, which is Dracul, which is a supposed Vlad the Impaler as the storyline goes, it was phenomenal. So even though it wasn't a live actor, he asked for characters. So I'm going to put that character up there because it was it was just the, the right amount of self-loathing, love, and monster all at the same time. Yeah. You know that it's done well when you find yourself rooting for the person or rooting for the entity that most people in the film, movie, or book are trying to kill or go against. Well, you know that anti-hero storyline is very, very, um, very, very common today. We get the Joker. We get all these other examples that are out there. You get a Harlequin. Um, she's she's another example. But it, it, to make a vampire, that I, I have to agree. And you mentioned something earlier. There was a. I agree with you. Remember Dracula 2000? I saw that at the movies. I was so ready for something more. And it, it's one of those movies that I'm thinking. Until you mentioned it today, I forgot it even existed. I didn't quite get it, right? Right. But, and th- around the same time, Queen of the Dam came out around 2001, actually. And it just trumped all that. 
it was such a good, maybe because of Aaliyah's passing that helped reinforce the, the interest in the movie or the storyline. Because I remember after watching Interview with uh, um, Queen of the Dam, I didn't enjoy it or appreciate it as much then as I do today. Right. You know, so I see right. through different lenses, and I now realize, compared to what else is out there, we're not seeing many vampire movies being made, honestly. We're not. I also thought 30 Days of Night was very good. Oh, that was so good. I that thought that that was excellent. That creepy. I really did. It remember really did. Scene? Remember that scene when they were in the movie, they were in a grocery store or something? I think it was a little boy or something, and I'm trying to remember that. And, and it was yeah. so, that was such a good, the 30 Days of Night, that was such a good movie. I saw it at the movie. That was a good one. I like that one. You know, we were talking about, and I was pulling it up on my phone while you were talking, because I remember, I forget, but then I remember this quote. We're talking about an interview with a vampire. I forget that for a small role, Antonio Banderas was in this movie. And he had what I think he played Armand. And he had oh, what yeah. I believe was one of the best quotes in a movie. And he says, I know nothing of God or the devil. I've never seen a vision nor learned a secret that will damn or save my soul. And I just thought mm. that that was excellent. An excellent quote. And since we're talking about vampires, I figure what was a, a better way than to bring it up? Well, all right. Here's one from Bram Stoker. When Dracula hears the howling, listen to the children of the night. Listen how they scream, the music, the great music, or something like that. I was like, yeah. oh my God, this is so creepy. And that was in a black and white movie early 19th, 20th century. But it was one, it's one of those lines where I appreciate good storylines that help make these characters get under my skin. And I don't know if we'll be seeing more vampiric movies like that anytime soon. Not that it's yeah. not impossible. But there are some short films I've been watching the game online that are playing off of it pretty nicely. Some of these shorts that are appearing to folks, that's why I'm trying to make one. <laughs> these shorts that are appearing on, on YouTube, hats off to some of these folks. You may want to focus on that at some point, too. But they're really doing, I saw one of was about a vampire, and it creeped me out. And it was done in an entire, in somebody's house, entirely in the house, and the camera angles were just superb. So I think we have more options today and more outlets, like you said, from Netflix, you got Shutter, and of course YouTube. Yeah. And, and and there's another one that I just saw recently that I didn't even know existed. And then there's also some things that are coming out on the um, on Prime. So you got so yeah. many options that are coming up now to help bring the vampire lore to a new audience. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I also want to state out there: if any of you that are making short films um, would like to have a scene where you have fright talk guys uh, in it. Give us a holler. We'll be there. We have no problem. We'll be in a horror movie without a problem. And you can you know, kill me. <laughs> kill me just don't just make it an honorable death. <laughs> Billy, I see our time is kind of winding down. I wanted to mention something. You had mentioned it before we started the show. We got some sad news before the the show started. So uh, I I didn't want the moment to pass without uh, giving absolute. Uh, you know, solace and condolences. Uh, for those of you that don't know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg passed away today at the age of 87. She was a feminist icon. She was a trendsetter. And the people, you know, people in this world and this world in general can use more like her. And it's just obviously a huge loss, not only for our country, but it's a, a, a loss of really a hero and an icon and a loss to society. Mm, I agree. And you know what, Anna, you made me think about it. Her entire story would make great for a vampire story tale. 
be like, would that be cool if we take some of these characters and be dead serious? Because of all the contributions she's made, imagine yeah. if that was transformed into some kind of like storyline for a vampire. You know, a new life for her, or at least her, her legacy. That would be super cool. And, Listen, I wish she was immortal. I really do. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> I really, really do. Oh, God. You know, folks, we want to say thank you for listening to us today. You know, our next show is in two weeks, and it's actually going to be on the first month of two digits, October 2nd, the day. We're going to be talking about COVID Halloween. That COVID Halloween. cool. So those of you out there, if you have ideas or would like, you'd like to chat with us about COVID Halloween, do listen in at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for that particular show. We'll be posting it on the website and on our social media feed, so we hope that you'll be tuning in. Yeah, we also have, uh, we procured some uh, two giveaways for that show, but as we get closer, I'll, I'll let you know what those giveaways are and right in time for the Halloween season, which is going to be phenomenal. So. I'd like to mention again to please follow us on Instagram at Fright Talk Guys and uh, Facebook. The same thing is at Fright Talk Guys. Go ahead and give us a follow, and we're actually very approachable people. Um, send us a message if you want to, a question, something you would like to hear us discuss on the show. Now, we do have the lineup pretty much set up for the next several shows, but we're always willing to listen to ideas and We've also discussed bringing in some guests. So I think when we go through what we have scheduled, that might be, uh, we might be bringing that in as well. But uh, again, shout outs to all of our fans. Again, the people, the Poltergeist OD, Stitch of the Witch 666, Karina Mariaka, Graphaholics, thank you always for your support. And everybody else, give us a follow and, and thank you so much for joining us in this time. It has been great. You know, Billy, you ever notice how fast this goes? It flies. The time flies miraculously. It's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And it's because of we're working with you, brother, and all these listeners and the loyal listeners out there. This is something we started and we really want to continue. Thank you for the continuous support. And we can continue it with your encouragement. So do seek us out. Dean couldn't have said it any better. Until October 2nd, folks, we thank you for joining us, for, for sort of supporting us. And stay tuned for more programming. Visit us at everydayfolksradio.com, at mtabsh on Instagram, at drbillyjones on Instagram as well. Take care. Good night. Have a good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.